Well, friends, as, as they step off, if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up uh, to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. We're going to get into the Word together, and I'm excited to do that. For, first of all, I didn't even introduce myself. Uh, for those of you who are new, my name is Josh Nye. I'm the pastor of Preaching and Vision here at Flourishing Grace. And so we're going to get into the Word together uh, this morning. Um, if you didn't bring a Bible, there's a black one underneath the seat in front of you. You can reach down there in that rack, pull out that black Bible, and 1 Peter is on page 953, 953 in that black Bible. And we are in a series here at Flourishing Grace called Eyes Up. And what we are doing over the past few weeks and over the next few remaining weeks is just as a community collectively getting our eyes up and just uh, thinking on and meditating on the return of Jesus and just allowing the truth that one day Jesus is coming back. And as we said last week, it's nearer than we think. Our King is coming for us. Our Savior is returning. We're just allowing that truth uh, to change the way we think and change the way we act and change the way uh, we engage in every area of our lives. And so uh, this morning we're going to continue in that in First Peter chapter, uh, chapter 1. And starting in verse 13, here at Flourishing Grace, we, we say, man, this is the word of God. It's a gift from his hands. And so in honor and reverence to it, if you're able, if you're able, would you stand with me as I read it for us this morning? We're going to start in verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace of that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. Let's have a seat. Let's do this. I know we've prayed a lot this morning, but guess what? You're in church, and so let's pray again one more time. I just want to pray over this word and pray uh, that the Spirit would empower us to receive it this morning. Let's pray. Yeah, Father, we come before you, and I mean, as your word is read, I pray that it would pierce our hearts, that right now that you'd remove all the distractions. Whatever we've brought into this room, Whatever, whatever busyness of the mind, right now you would slow it. And Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you to fill us, every square inch of our souls, awaken our minds, quicken our thoughts, that we might receive your word. Whatever you want to do in us this morning, do it. Have your way with us. I need your help. I have nothing to offer the men and women in this room. Nothing. Nothing of, of lasting worth nothing of lasting value, nothing of eternal goodness. That must come from you. And so would you give us that gift this morning? We ask this in the name of your Son, in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
Amen, friends. Well, for those of you who uh, know me, I know there's a lot of uh, friends and family uh, in the room this morning. And so if you, don't, if you don't know me, one of the things that I love to do is to climb mountains. It's just something that I am addicted to. This past summer, I, I went on a sabbatical. And during my sabbatical, uh, my wife and I had the opportunity to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, which is the largest freestanding mountain in the entire world. It's the highest uh, mountain on the continent of Africa. And my wife crushed it. She did an amazing amazing job. We had so much fun. It was incredible. And I just love it. There's something about it that just like, like I was weeping on top of Mount Kilimanjaro. It's so beautiful and so fun and majestic. And this all started years and years and years and years ago when my father-in-law invited me for his 60th birthday. He was like, hey, you want to climb Mount Rainier? And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? I I don't know. I lived in Chicago at the time. I didn't know what mountains were. I was like, sounds fun. It's not fun. Okay? It's amazing, but it's not fun. Uh, we summited Mount Rainier in an absolute whiteout. Like you could not see from here to the back of the room. Okay, like you just couldn't see anything. There's no, there's no view. There's no like, isn't this amazing? No, it's just misery. Okay, it was below zero, 40 mile an hour gust, uh, just complete snowing, freezing death. That's what it was. It was awful. And I have a picture. I was gonna sh- I'll show you guys. This is like an old like a junky photo. We got that photo? Are we, uh, there we go. Uh, th- there it is. Like that's just miser- misery upon misery. That's me in the blue jacket there. Yes, I'm, let's just go down now. Uh, we, we stood there for all of 10 seconds just to get one pick and get out of there. It was so bad. So bad. And uh, if you know anything about mountaineering, uh, so uh, Mount Rainier is the most glaciated peak in the lower 48. It's, it's all ice and rock. Um, and so you, when you're walking, you have these big spikes on your shoes called crampons. You've got an ice axe just in case anything happens. And you're tied together. You're on a team. You're on a rope team. And the most important person on the team on the way up is the person in front if they fall, it's very, very, very bad, okay? You just do not want them to fall. Um, it's a long way before they catch the next person, okay? Um, and bad things happen. And on the way down, the most important person is the person all the way in the back of the team. Same thing. Nobody's going to see them fall. Um, if they fall, it's very, very, very bad. And on the way down, I'm in the back. I'm in the anchor position. This is my job is to watch everybody on the team and make sure everybody's doing all right. That nobody's, that nobody's getting tired, nobody's doing anything stupid, nobody's untying anything they shouldn't untie, that nobody's falling. And we're going down, and sure enough, the guy in front of me is looking pretty rough. Uh, things are not looking good for him. His legs are jello. Uh, he is completely gassed. He is, what we would say, he's just bonked. It's over for him. Like, if he's just kind of willing his body down this mountain. And, and sure enough, we come to this spot um, it's like this very narrow, kind of one foot in front of the other spot. And it's a sheer drop, uh, very steep on one side. You can kind of put your hand right here. Um, it's that steep, and it's that steep down on the other side. And all the way down to this big, beautiful, blue, gnarly crevasse. Not the place you want to fall on the entire mountain. It's just like, just don't fall here. And sure enough, as our team is walking on this little uh, bridge, I step out onto it, and I'm watching, and there he goes, okay? He's just going down. And instinctively, in that moment, um, I do what you're supposed to do, right? I yell to the team, fall in! So everybody knows, okay, we got a problem. I throw myself down. I kick my spikes on my shoes into the ice. I, I hammer the ice axe in and just crank it down, and I just wait 
and I wait. And it feels like I'm waiting forever, even though it's like three seconds before that rope gets tight and goes boing. And I know in that moment, I got him. Like, we're good. I feel so sure of my anchor in this moment. Like, there's no way that we're falling. Everybody could fall, and I've got us. Like, we're going nowhere. He, on the other hand, doesn't believe that at all. He is terrified. Like, it, I mean, the worst place you could ever fall. He has just done it, and he is sliding down into the abyss. And he's caught, and he's hanging there. He's dangling and he's probably pooped himself a little bit. Uh, and, and, we're, and we're like, all right, like we got you. We're, you're good. You're good. We've got you. All you got to do is climb back up. Speechless. He's not moving. He's not doing anything. He's just like full on panic mode. And, and I, in that moment, he is processing and realizing that he is down to his last hope. He's got one hope. And that is the rope that's tied to this guy. And it's not very secure, okay? It's like, in his mind at least, it's not very sure. It's not very steadfast. Here in this text this morning, Peter is writing to an audience who is questioning their most sure hope. This is a people under persecution, a people who are suffering, and they're wondering, man, why is Jesus allowing this to happen to us? I thought he conquered sin and death. I thought he was reigning and ruling over all things. Where is he now in this moment? Where is my hope now? And Peter is, is calling them to remember the hope that they have in Christ. And one of the ways that he does that in this letter is by reminding them of his return, getting their eyes up on the return of Christ. And he does so in this text for today. And we're going to spend the bulk of our time in verse 13, and it reads this way. I'm going to read it for us again. It says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Grace is going to be brought to you, friends. If you are in Christ on that day when he returns, he is coming and he's carrying bucket loads of grace for you. And the first thing I want you to see this morning is this. Hope is on the way. Hope is on the way. And he's coming bringing grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And we need hope. We are a people of hope. Constantly hoping. Whether you believe any of this or none of this, you hope all the time. I hope all the time. And some things that we have small little hopes, we, when we have grand deep hopes. I have small hopes. I mean, every year I hope that the Cubs will win the World Series. I got one out of 100. So, you know, well, not so good. All right, we're always hoping in other in things. I hope that every time I go to Blacksmith Ice Cream, they got my favorite flavor in and that somebody hasn't eaten it all already, right? We're always hoping in little things, constantly hoping in things. I hope that my team wins. I hope that I get a good grade on this test. I hope that um, I, I can get this project done at work. Little things all the time. But then there's some big hopes, and we all have them. Man, this morning, we just had all these babies up on stage, and Every single one of those parents are hoping that that child grows old and is healthy. I hope that my marriage endures. That one day, one day, when I'm old and gray, 
I can look into the eyes of my wife and say, we made it. And then we both die quietly in our sleep on the same night. Okay, maybe that's a stretch, but I hope we make it. I hope that, I hope that my boys grow up healthy, and I hope that they love Jesus more than anything in the world. I hope that the, doc, the doctor never calls and says there's no cure for that. I have so many deep core hopes in my heart. I hope that God will allow me to be the pastor of Flourishing Grace for many more years. And that we'll see Flourishing Grace become this, this force for the kingdom of God right here in Davis County. So many hopes. You have these hopes. You have similar hopes. But here's the thing that I can tell you about every single one of our hopes, every single one that you cling to. They all have one thing in common. Not one is guaranteed. That's why they're hopes. You can't guarantee it. You can give your whole life to fighting and trying to protect your kids and, and doing all the right things in your marriage, and it's still not guaranteed. It's not guaranteed. But as we look at the Bible, we see again and again and again and again this, a different hope emerging. And every letter in the New Testament talks about this future hope that's greater than all of our other hopes. I'll, I'll give you a few verses this morning Paul talks about it in a myriad of places. Titus 2.13, he says, waiting for our blessed hope, right? Paul's like, we got all these other hopes, but we have one hope that's blessed above all the other hopes, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's my blessed hope, and it's coming. Hope is on the way. Galatians 5.5, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Righteousness is coming. He's bringing grace, and one of the graces that, that he is bringing is the gift of righteousness, and it will be bestowed upon those who love him. Righteousness is coming. Hope is on the way. Colossians 1, 3 through 5 reads this way. Paul writes to the church in Colossae, he says, We always thank our God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, in the love that you have for all the saints, because, why? Why do they have it? Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. There's a hope laid up for us. Someday a greater hope than all of our other hopes will be realized. When faith will be made sight, there will be no more need for hope. There will be no need for faith. It will all be made obsolete when our eyes lay hold of the King of Kings. The author of Hebrews writes about it so beautifully uh, in, in chapter 6. He says it this way. He says, we have this. A sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. It's going nowhere. We have it. If you are in Christ this morning, you have it. A sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. My man who was sliding down the ice had me as an anchor. Okay, Not sure, not steadfast, but doing the best I can. If you are in Christ, you have an anchor of the soul. What is it? A hope, a hope that has entered into the innermost place, the Holy of Holies, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Jesus has poured out his life on the cross. His, he has covered you by his blood. He has risen from the dead, and he sits at the right hand of the throne of God in the Holy of Holies in pure majesty, being worshipped by millions and millions of angels. And he is holding on to the rope, it's attached to you if you were in Christ. And you are going nowhere. 
He has you. You are safe and you are secure in him if you are in him. Friends, if Jesus would step off of the throne of glory and step into all of your brokenness and all of your shame and all of your pain and all of your sorrow, we sung about it this morning, and he was willing to put it on, what is he not willing to do for you? Why would he let go of it now? Man, that hope is sure and it is steadfast. It is an anchor of your soul. And so I, I don't know what you are going through this morning. I don't know what you've brought into this room. I don't know what pain, I don't know what sorrow, I, I don't know what despair has crept into your, into your life or, or what fog of sin has caused you to stop seeing the hope that you have in him. But here's what I know. One day, one day, he is coming and he's bringing with him grace upon grace. And if you place your hope in that, one day you will see him face to face and you will know that every time you cling to that hope above all other hopes, it was worth it all. It was worth every ounce of it. Every time you deny the lesser hope, you say, I'm not going to place my hope in that. I'm going to place my hope in Christ and Christ alone. One day, when you hear the words, good and faithful servant, well done, well done. You will know it is worth it all. He has given everything for you. Upon the return of Jesus, he is bringing grace with him. By his grace, our righteousness will be revealed. By his grace, our salvation will be complete. And by his grace, our glory will be made known. You know that there's glory for you, glory that you cannot even imagine. Glory that will not, be, you cannot even wrap your mind around it until that day. Paul writes of it in, in Romans 8, verse 18. He says it this way. It'll be up on the screen. He says this. He says, for I consider the sufferings of this present age. I don't care what you brought into this room. All the sufferings of this present age are not worth comparing. Don't even try to stack them up with the glory that is to be revealed to us on that day. For the creation waits with eager longings for the revealing of the sons of God. One day, when Christ returns, man, he is bringing glory with him. And that glory will be yours as you are revealed as sons and daughters of the Most High. In that moment, you have been adopted as sons and daughters by Christ as he pours out his blood on the cross, making a way for us to be adopted as sons and daughters, not by anything you've done, but by his work on the cross. You've been given the right to become children of God, as John says in the opening of his gospel. You've been given the right to become children of God. And so we look forward to that day with eagerness, and all of creation is waiting for that day. And the grass waits for that day. The trees wait for that day. The birds of the air wait for that day to see the glory that will be revealed. Amen? Anybody? Are we tracking at all this morning? I mean, I'm trying. My goodness. I don't know how it gets any better than that, friends. Hope is on the way. It's on the way. What do we do in the meantime? What do we do in the meantime? Peter tells us, he tells us, there's a couple things that he gives us in this text. How do we do this? How do we set our hope? How do I cast my anchor of hope on that one truth, the return of Christ? How do I cast it there? He gives us two things. 
One has to do with our minds. The other one has to do with holiness. The first is this. Prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. Again, it's that verse 13. He says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's two parts here, right? Preparing our minds and being sober-minded. The actual Greek here um, is translated a little bit differently. If you got a, if you got like a New King James or uh, an NASB Bible, it actually reads this way. Um, it says, "Gird up the loins of your mind." Right? Everybody knows what that means. To gird up the loins of your mind. Come on, men, let's gird up the loins of our mind. Just doesn't quite have the same ring to it, does it? No, what is, what is Peter doing? Peter's trying to pay, paint a picture. He's trying to give you an image. And his audience in first century would have, would, have, would have instantly been like, oh, yeah, for sure. We are like, wait, what? What is, what is a loin? I don't know. Um, here's what he's going. In first century Israel, a Jewish man would have worn uh, kind of like an undergown, right? It's like a sleeveless T-shirt that goes all the way down to the ankles, okay? Tracking with me on this. Um, and that's what they would have worn everywhere. And they'd kind of put an outer uh, cloak o- over that. And that's what they would have just worn when they go anywhere, right? When they're, when they're at their home, when they go to a friend's house, when they're eating, when they're uh, at the market. That's what they'd have worn. But when it's time for serious work, really two things, real work and war. The outer garment comes off. And the undergarment is hiked up and tucked in around their, their, their thighs so that they might be prepared for action, ready to go. Let's go. And so Peter's saying, hey, get your minds ready for action, right? Gird up the loins of your mind. You've got to get ready. You've got to think rightly. If you want to set your hope, you need to think well about this. You can't have lazy thoughts. We've got to prepare our minds for action. How do we do this? What does it look like for us to do this? Listen, friends, Satan is going to war over your hope. At all costs, he will seek to destroy your one true hope. Get your eyes off of the return of Jesus. You've got to war against him. And that war is going to happen in your mind. Your flesh... And the world around you is going to sell you on every other lesser hope. Constantly, always, hope in this, hope in this, hope in this. Don't hope in that. I mean, you need, to, you need to figure it out on your own. You need to get this done on your own. What if people think this? And what if you do this? Right? Constantly, always. And that work is being done in your mind. So you've got to get your mind ready for action. You've got to be ready for this. How do we do this? What does it look like? Um, this past Thursday... Um, and every Thursday, we uh, do our student ministry. Josh Gardner, who was up here earlier, um, and our students, they do a free lunch for all the students at Bountiful High School. They do it in, in the park, uh, at Creekside Park. And so they just roll in with games and food, and like 60 to 100 kids come out and just eat and play. It's, just, it's actually pretty amazing that uh, we're able to kind of pull this off every single week and just have fun with these students. And one of the things that we do to try to let students know that this is happening is uh, Josh Gardner has printed these like big signs that just say like, free lunch Creekside Park, okay? Um, and we ch- challenge our students. We're like, hey, you know, y- you love Jesus. Go hold one of these signs and-, and hold it up down at the parking lot as students are coming out for lunch. And so they know this is going on. And all of our students are like, no. No way am I holding a sign. Like, you know how embarrassing that is? 
You know what people are going to say about me? You know what they're going to do? Like, what, like, what do you think is going to happen when I go back into class? Like, there's no way I'm doing this. And I'm not, I'm not blaming them. Listen, when I was a student, I probably would have reacted the same way. But this past Thursday, I grabbed one of those signs. I was like, ah, fine. I'll go down there. I'll be like the old dude holding the sign. Like, how creepy is that? Fine. I'll do it. Whatever. I go down there, and I'm thinking as I'm walking and, you know, this text is in my mind, and I'm thinking about our students who, who I just love, and, and, and just this tension in them, like, why, why, why is this so hard? And the reality is, is that all of these lies begin to kind of cloud your hope. Man, students are going to make fun of me. My friends are going to look down upon me. People are going to say things about me. And as you stack all of those up, you can no longer see your one true hope that one day, one day, my king is coming back. My savior's coming. In his simple action of just holding the sign so that other students might come to know him, that they might come to love him, and they'll come to know his grace and have the same hope that I have, that faithfulness is going to be rewarded. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. It's a simple little action, but it trumps everything else. That hope trumps every other fear that hope trumps every other sorrow. That hope trumps every other hope. Who gives a rip? If Jesus comes back tomorrow, they'd all be down there holding a sign if they knew it was coming. Like if they could just see it. If they could just hold that hope in their mind, nothing would stop them because we can do all things through him who strengthens us. All we need is a greater hope. That hope will pull you out of the depths of despair. It will empower you to do things that you never thought possible. This is one tiny little example, but how about the adults in the room, man? What are the things that are blocking you in your life? What lies have you begun to believe? What, what, what comforts have you, have, have you begun to accept and think, man, this comfort is greater than that hope? I, I need to pursue this because if I don't get this, then, then my life's going to fall apart and yada, 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 da, 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 da. And it's at the, at the forsaking of your greatest, truest hope, you've pursued lesser things. What sorrows? Where have you begun to believe, man, ah, that hope's not for me. That hope's not for me. I, I'm just not, not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. I'm never going to get it. Listen, you need to sober up, Peter says. Sober up. You need a sober mind. You need to become sober-minded. Sober-minded person is a person who's clear-headed. They're not distracted. They're not allowing these things of the world to distract them from the true vision that God has for them. His son is coming for them. It's the ability to make a clear judgment, the ability to resist anything that would deflect us from the hope set on Jesus' coming. Set your hope. It's going to happen in your mind. It's got to happen in your mind. What little things that have you made out to be big things? What small trivial things have you stacked next to the eternal weight of glory and said, that compares? Nothing compares. Nothing compares. What is pulling your gaze off of the return of Jesus? There is nothing that compares. Prepare your minds for action. Now, when we set our minds, when we can't set our minds, when our minds are not set, we cannot set our hope fully. It's not possible. You can set a little bit of your hope there, 
I go to church, I volunteer, I tithe, I do all these things. I got a little bit of hope there, but you got to set your full hope there. And if you are not doing this work in your mind, you cannot set your full hope there. And we don't have a full hope set on the return of Jesus. We will never be ready to respond to the greatest commandment in this text. Okay, One of the heaviest commands in all of the New Testament is right here in this text. And if your mind is not set, you will not be ready. Is your mind set? Are we, are we ready for it? A little bit? Maybe? Nobody? Do I just should I start over? Just kidding. Here it comes, ready or not. Starting again in verse 13. I'm just going to read the whole thing. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober in mind, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now he goes on. As obedient children, do not... Be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, who you were before this hope. But as he who called you is holy, here it is, are you ready for it? You also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now I've lost you, for sure. If you're anything like me, you're like, nope. Like, all right, set my hope reduce the other things, increase my vision of Jesus. I think maybe I can do that. Be holy in all your conduct. Peace, I'm out. Like, I can't do it. Like, there's no way, right? You, you know, like, every day I am failing to be like that, to be like Jesus, holy and blameless and pure and, and all is completely set apart as Christ is set apart. Like, I can't do that. I can't achieve that. And you're absolutely right. You cannot. Some of us in this room might think that we've in some way achieved this kind of thin veneer of holiness. But you know, it's fragile and it's frail and it's not real. You have not made yourself holy. You will never make yourself holy. You will never make yourself holy as he is holy. But the good news is, that's not what Peter says. He does not say, make yourself holy as he is holy. That's not what the text says. We do not make ourselves holy. Holiness is not something that we achieve. It's something that we are pulled into. Let me say that again. Holiness is not something that we achieve. It's something that we're pulled into. You have to let yourself be pulled. That's the last thing I want you to see this morning. Let yourself be pulled by a greater vision of Jesus. I love how Eugene Peterson uh, puts this text in his message translation. I know a lot of you uh, guys are like, message translation? Listen, the more I love the Bible, the more I love the message translation. It's so good. Eugene Peterson is such a poet. Here's how he puts it. I'm going to read the whole thing for us, starting in verse 13. He says it this way. He says, So roll up your sleeves. Put your mind in gear. Be totally ready to receive the gift that is coming when Jesus arrives. Are you ready to receive it? Don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil doing just what you feel like doing. You didn't know any better then. You just didn't know then. But you do now. As obedient children, listen to this. Let yourselves be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life. A life energetic in blazing with holiness. This is Peter's aim. It's his goal of the entire letter. 
that these people who who have been beaten down or confused and sorrowful would be pulled out of their way of life, out of their confusion, and into a life energetic and ablaze with holiness, a life marked by God's way of life for them. Peter knows that God has a better life for them. He has a better life for you. But you've got to let yourself be pulled. You've got to let yourself be pulled by a greater vision. And on that day when uh, my buddy slipped and was dangling at the end of the rope, completely exhausted, paralyzed by fear, and just unwilling to move. We're all yelling and we're screaming, dude, you've got to move. Like, just get up. Like, not sure how much longer we can all hold you here. Like, come on, buddy. Pick yourself up. Let's go. He's not moving. And some of you this morning, you just, that's where you are. That's where you are. Too tired, too weary, too broken. The truth is, friends, whether you realize it or not, that is where we all are. You will never climb out of that pit. You will never make yourself holy. You will never earn blamelessness. There is no merit that will earn you the spotlessness of Christ And if you get a a real image in your mind of Christ, a real image, you know there's no way you achieve that. There's no way you measure up to that. He's the sovereign one. He's the king of kings and the lord of lords. You're going to measure up to that? No. You've got to be pulled into that. The good news is this. You have a hope you can set in him. And that vision will pull you into it. It'll pull you into a whole new way of life. Little by little by little, out of your past life and into a brand new life in Christ. Where you will live again in a whole new way. Every day, every thought will be d- directed and transformed by the image, the vision of his return. Set your mind, prepare your mind for action so that you might set your hope on that. And allow it to pull you closer and closer to him, nearer and nearer to him, into his presence, into his way of life, that you might be holy as he is holy. You will never become that on your own. You must be pulled into it by his blood, not your merit, friends. And so what I want to do as we close with just the last few minutes is to actually prepare our minds for action to actually just sober up for a minute. To give us a space just to say, man, I know, I know, I know I need a greater vision in my life. Hope is on the way and I need to be reminded of it. And so let's do this, friends. Let's just bow our heads for a minute. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, I I want to challenge you to do something. I want you to picture Christ, your Savior, your King, the one who loves you more than you will ever begin to imagine and has gone to greater lengths than you will ever know to secure your soul.
I want you to see him as an anchor. The one who's holding the rope. I want you to know that he's got you. And you will not be moved. If you've given your life to him, your salvation is sure. It is steadfast. It's going nowhere. And he's coming back for you. With a face shining like the sun. Clothed in white with a robe dipped in blood. The rider on the white horse. His name is Faithful and True. And on his thigh is written the King of Kings. And Lord of Lords. And nothing... Nothing that's going to stop him from getting back to you. Is your hope fully set? Is there any fear in your life that is trumping that? Any sorrow? Any desire? Or is your hope fully set on him? Clear it out. See your king. And rejoice in the hope that you have in him. Some of us this morning need to reset our hope. Some of us this morning need to reset our hope for the first time in a long time. Things have crept in. Things are blocking us from seeing him. You just need to reset your hope. Some of us for the first time ever. There are people in this room and God right now is awakening something in you. He's doing a work in you. And it's time to give your life to him. Say, I want that vision to be my vision. I want that hope to be my hope. I want that security. I want that anchor of the soul. I want to be lifted out of this and into holiness. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forward. Man, those who are praying for us this morning. And every week we have a prayer team up here. And they just love to pray over your life. Pray for areas of hurt. Pray for areas of brokenness. But this morning we're going to move into a time of prayer. And if you just need your hope to be reset this morning, and they would love to pray that into your life. They would love to just beg God on your behalf to reset your hope. Pray a greater vision into your life. If you want to set your hope for the first time in Christ, they would love to celebrate that with you and tell you how to do that. They would love, they would love to talk to you about how do you set your hope in Jesus firmly fixed until the day he calls us home or the day that he returns. We eagerly await that day. And we're going to move into a time of just reflecting. So I want you to keep that in your mind. Just keep that vision of Christ. Just keep moving to a time of prayer. We're just going to lift up prayers in this room. We're going to be a church that is marked by prayer. If you need to receive prayer this morning, man, just in this season, in this moment, you can come forward and you can receive prayer.